it was really hard. I wanted to quit after the first day. I remember thinking, I'm going to get fired today for sure. Being able to shake it off faster and bounce back faster is really, really, really important. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Well, welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you today, the Knucklehead. And if you're familiar with the way the business is done in 2020, the term LinkedIn can mean a lot of different things to you. But in the context of a social media platform where people are connecting with other business professionals to find resources and solutions, the name Scott Lease shouldn't be unfamiliar to you. So I've got the opportunity and you, the listener, have an opportunity to listen to what I believe is a very accomplished sales individual. He just confessed prior to this that he does a lousy job of selling himself. I don't believe that for a second. However, I've been fortunate enough to have a relationship with Scott to a certain extent over the last few years. Never not been one to communicate and speak exactly what it is that's on his mind as it relates to helping somebody move forward. And so that means that sometimes you get some not easy things to hear. And Scott's usually been the one to convey that message. So Scott, I appreciate you taking some time to spend with those of us who listen to Knucklehead Podcast and those of us who consume the material of what people have screwed up to help them get to the success that they have in business. So I appreciate you having some time for us today. Yeah, no problem, man. It's fun. I know we've talked about trying to get me on this show for a while. So it's, uh, it's good to finally be here. Yeah, we have. It's, well, that's, that's part of the process. It just takes some time to get to that point. But for those of you who are listening, who like to read, Scott wrote a book called Addicted to the Process. And part of that book, and I don't want to put words into his mouth here, but part of what resonated with me over the course of that book is the same thing that I related to in David Goggins' book, where there's going to be pain associated with growth. There's going to be things that you're going to do that are wasted motion. And it's going to reveal a lot of gaps that you have in your character. And Scott just willingly admitted that through that entire process. And whenever I read that book, and whenever I've subsequently been able to follow up and have a, some conversations with you, it's very apparent that you don't shy away from the things that are hard. And I found that a lot of people who are type A believe that they can get a lot of things done, so you've probably built a lot of organizations with people maybe who've had some fun egos to deal with, I'm sure. Uh, but at the same time, you've also been able to leverage that as an opportunity to make yourself better over the course of your career. So rewind the clock back a little bit to whenever you first wrote that book. What was it that compelled you to be disciplined enough to start writing those words down and organize it in a book form? What were you going through professionally at the time? Were you just coming out of a screw up or were you in the midst of a transition? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I was in between jobs. So I had just sort of left Outbound Engine. And this was before I knew what I was going to do next. And it felt like a good moment in time for me to kind of get this done, right? Like I had been asked and kind of pushed and pressured by people who used to work for me and friends of mine, like you should really like put your sales methodology and process out there and put into a book and whatnot. You know, it, it was just like a personal kind of project. I wish I could tell you that I had this big master plan, like, oh, this is going to end up launching something of mine or, or, or whatever. But no, it wasn't that. It was like, I have all this stuff I've been talking about and teaching about for 10, 15 years or so. Um, I have this moment in time where I'm in between jobs and it uh, feels like a good time to get it down on paper and, and get it done. And, you know, I ended up cranking it out pretty fast. Like, I think I started in November and it was on the shelves by May. That is quick. I cranked it within a, within a couple months. And, 
ended up getting a job at Qualia and yeah, you know, it, it's been very well received and sold pretty well. And, you know, it, I, I knew that it would, could be like a little bit of a calling card. Like if you want to know what Scott thinks about sales, like here's this book, right? It's all in there, but it's been, it's been a really nice surprise. You know, some of the feedback I've gotten has been really wonderful. And, uh, it's just, an it's another, another project of mine. And I don't know if you know this or not, Steven, but, uh, I just finished writing my second book. I don't know if you knew that or not. It, I didn't know uh, it, that you were finished with it. I knew that it was under yeah. construction. Well, that's fair. It's in the editing and revision kind of phase, but the V1 is done and uh, I got a title and everything. It should be out hopefully by Christmas. So um, it's become something that I, that I enjoy doing now. Let's talk about that just real quick. So whenever it comes to these podcasts, and you hear this all the time in the podcast sphere, people want to talk about the rosy, really comfortable results of maybe hard work, right? There's some stories that get shared along the way where they're difficult to hear sometimes because with progress and with growth, there's that messy middle that ends up taking place. And so you made reference to one of those companies. I don't think that Outbound Engine was your first Fourier into the into the sales leadership round, but you started as a as a sales guy. I mean, you you started with a sheet of paper with a telephone number to establish a relationship and be kind of a, a telephone actor in a way to help companies and, and individuals make good decisions. And that's a very interesting profession. Just to to put it out there, not everybody does that, especially in today's world. So, what was it about sales that made you want to? I mean, what was it? Was there not a choice to go in a different direction? Or what was it about sales that put you in this arena all of a sudden where you could, you know, have a lot of income tied to those dials that you were making? You know, my decision to get in sales was really born of necessity and having no other options, to be honest with you. You know, anybody who knows me has heard the story and I know you have, but I got really sick right before my 23rd birthday, ended up spending about four years in the hospital. I've had nine surgeries at this point in my life, four major abdominal surgeries, two life-saving emergency surgeries, kicked opioids, you know, went through hell and back more than once. And I had never had a real job. I, I was getting paid to, you know, coach soccer and coach tennis and getting paid to play and that kind of thing. I never had any kind of job. I didn't have a business degree. I studied psychology and religion in school, right? And here I am at 27, and I'm in the Bay Area and I'm finally like healthy enough to work. And I have no idea what I'm going to do with myself. All I know is now I'm very far behind. In my mind, I'm very far behind, right? I'm behind everybody else who, you know, was able to work and figure out what they want to do with themselves. And the only thing I could think of, man, was sales that made any sense. And the reason was not because I felt like a salesman or I was interested in it. It was just okay, that's a competitive arena. And as an athlete, I understand it. And the better you do, the more you get paid. And if you do bad, you get cut. And I understood that, right? So that was it, man. That, that, was, that was my thought process and, and, and decision-making. And so I, I took a entry-level sales job, paid $30,000 in San Francisco, which is, you know, <laughs> way below the poverty line in San Francisco. And, uh, did not have a ton of training at all. It was really like half a day. And this is 2004, I think, 16 years ago. I, we didn't have a CRM. 
There was no enablement tool. There was, there was nothing. Okay. I, I didn't have leads. I had to source my own leads. I don't even think I had a headset. In fact, I did not have a headset because I can remember just like hunched over with my neck, you know, holding the phone in place while I was trying to type and everything. That's, that's how old I am, Steven. But you're just trying to figure it out and make it happen, man. And it was really, really hard. I, I wanted to quit after the first day. I remember calling my wife and telling her that I wasn't going to go back and I'd have to figure something else out. And uh, she kicked my ass a little bit and said, well, you don't really have another choice. And I'm like, damn it. She's, you know, she's right. And uh, I kind of fought a little harder on day two and day three. And, and by day five, I was the last guy left that had come in with this starting you know, hiring class of mine who had either not closed a deal yet or, or not quit already. And I remember thinking, I'm going to get fired today for sure in my first week if I don't make a sale, right? So I'm just going to stay here and make them know that I'm like still working. So if they're going to if they're going to fire me, they're going to have to fire me in the middle of my workday. It's like four o'clock, five o'clock passes, six o'clock passes, seven o'clock passes. There's nobody left in the office. I cold call Hawaii at nine thirty at night. And I'm taking advantage of the time zone, right? And I end up one call closing this real estate agent. We were selling online lead generation tools, right? And man, the light bulb like went off, right? And that was when I thought to myself, okay, that was fun. I really like that. That's a hell of a rush. I want to feel that way again. Maybe I can do this, you know? And 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 at that point, like I kind of committed and threw myself, you know, directly into it. Have you ever asked yourself why you haven't started a podcast? Well, I already know the reason. So do you. You don't feel like you're tech savvy. You don't feel like you got your message wired tight. And quite frankly, it's just, it's all this mystification going on. Quite frankly, uh, our process helps to demystify that. We're push button for podcasts. We're knucklehead. Why knucklehead? Well, we lead with the fact that you don't know what you're doing. We do. We've been there. We've actually been in your shoes. We take your spoken voice. We literally give a human voice to your website. You want to bring dead leads to life? Well, then you need to talk to Knucklehead. Essentially, what we're going to do is we're going to take you through our process and we're going to help take your human voice and increase the process for you going from dead leads to life. How do I how do I do that? Well, you essentially just take your human voice, put it in a directory and let people consume more of you. Give your audience the ability to Netflix on you. They want to binge watch you. They want to binge listen. Give them the ability to take your voice along on that commute with them. So you can get in touch with us, Steven at Knucklehead Podcasts, or if you've got a really cool story, stories at Knucklehead Podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn and on Facebook at Knucklehead Promotions, LLC, and get in touch with us. Don't be a beta about the process. Don't let the fact that you don't know prevent you from getting some wins. So don't be a beta, get some wins and contact us today. See you. I appreciate that candor. And hopefully those of you who are listening can relate to that feeling of euphoria. There's nothing like it whenever you close a deal, whenever you provide a, uh, an outline of services or you know a product, so to speak, you go through the, the feature process of articulating value to, to whomever it is that you're, that you're trying to sell to, and it works. There's really nothing like it. And uh, the fact that you can continue to go through that same process and get better and make iterations and, and work on your communication, that only adds more tools to your bag, so to speak, as you're, you know, as you're going through the process. It's very interesting to hear that you made that progression. At what point did you realize 
I mean, with all these new tools that are being made available because technology is changing uh, during that time, that tech was going to be a route that you were going to go? Or do you even look at your skill set as, as building tech organizations? Do you look at it as more as uh, sales mentorship, leadership, and development of, of those willing to go out there and, and do this as a profession? Yeah, I look at it. I look at it more as I know how to build sales organizations, and all of my experience has been in tech and has been in startups and uh, primarily in SaaS organizations. The story I tell myself, true or false, is not you know Scott knows how to do tech. The story I tell myself is Scott knows how to build sales organizations, right? So there's not a part of me that's like. If Austin FC hired me to run their revenue operations, there's no part of me that feels like I wouldn't know what I'm doing. That's not tech, right? Yep. And and maybe I'm overconfident in that, but like I feel like I understand the principles of selling. I understand the principles of managing and leading. And how you put all those things together, it depends based on kind of the arena you're in. Like if I know how to coach football, I can coach at the peewee level the high school level, the college level, the pro level, right? I might not be good at every single one, but I know how to coach at, at every single one. You don't suddenly, I don't suddenly not know how to sell because I'm selling tickets as opposed to a software package, right? I think that that goes right up against conventional wisdom when you start talking about um, people evaluating criteria in you know, whether or not somebody's... You know, and so I, I appreciate that you're leaning into it. And for those of you who are listening that are hearing him hit his table, there's no manufactured energy that's coming from from Mr. Lee today. There's a, a significant amount of earned energy when it comes to believing the way that you do. And I got to ask you, I've sat in some boardrooms and some conference rooms that it becomes very uncomfortable and very clear on who's who's had conversations with customers and then who's had conversations with developers and software folks, there's a distinct difference. And so I'm, I'm curious, how do you ever like recalibrate your emotions because you're constantly talking with customers and feeding off the energy from other people and kind of conducting yourself responsibly? How do you keep it together when you're around people who aren't having those same type of conversations? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think that an advantage for me, I think, is that I tend to be very introverted, actually which a lot of people might be surprised by who, who know me. And I get energy and sort of recharge my battery through silence and calmness and all that. Like, I'm actually a pretty chill, calm person. When I start talking about all these things, you know, the Italian in me like comes out. I get all, I get all passionate about it, right? So I, it's easy for me to have these kind of energized conversations with prospects or customers or sellers of mine, and then immediately switch gears and go into an executive meeting, for example, and kind of settle down. Right. And, and that, I don't know how to teach that or even how to articulate it that well, but it's a part of, of part of who I am. And so I think that I'm pretty good at this context switching of, doing one thing and being very present and immediately moving to the next thing and being very present in that. And I can, I'm adaptable. Like I don't have, I'm not type a hundred million miles an hour all the time. Like if you and I go to a, you know, backyard barbecue or whatever, like I'm not the life of the party, man. Like I'm planted growing roots 
under a tree with my cocktail the whole time, right? And I'm, I'm chilling and that's restorative for me. So I think it's easy for me. And one of the reasons I like it is, is because I get to have lots of different conversations and interactions. And it's never me doing one thing the same over and over and over all the time. And that's one of the reasons why I knew very early I wanted to get out of being an individual contributor. Because I felt like being an individual contributor for me was, oh, I'm going to have this conversation for the rest of my life. And it's going to be the same thing. And I can't do that. Right. I'll just, I'll, I'll feel too depleted. But if I can get into a place where I can teach people how to do that and I can do a lot of listening to people who are struggling and I can do a lot of problem solving and I can do a lot of collaborating and I can think strategically. Now I feel like, Oh, I get to do a bunch of different things. And there's times in the day that require tons of energy from me. And there's times in the day where I can chill a little bit and be more thoughtful. And so that, that suits me and my personality, I think really well. Well, that makes sense. And it also insinuates that there was some struggle there for a certain period of time, because, you know, as an individual contributor, you can, you can put together some pretty good income. And if there's not a whole lot of other choices for you earlier in your career, I mean, there's not really a perspective or a vantage point where you can identify those opportunities. So I, I got to ask you, do you have a, a story where you were confronted with an opportunity where you wished that you would have gone, you wish you would have zigged when you zagged or, or maybe a time where, you know, you stepped on it, so to speak, where you wish that a relationship would have went differently than what it did. Oh, for sure. You know, there's, there's times where I was struggling and then I ended up making a choice that I think was the right one. So for example, the very first time I got put up for a sales manager role, I got passed over and I got passed over by somebody who was longer tenured even though they were less qualified, I would say, through both their numbers and sort of the respect of the floor. And I remember thinking, I should get out of here. These people, you know, don't respect me or whatever. And I remember taking a week off of vacation, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I ultimately ended up staying. And that decision was very smart of me because this person ended up failing and I ended up getting promoted into the role not very long after anyway, right? But then I ceilinged out at that particular role, meaning I remember saying to them, how can I be a VP? I've been here two and a half years. Like that's the next place for me to go. And they're like, you're never going to be a VP here ever. I'm like, well, I guess I'm, uh, I guess I'm out of here. And I quit with no other job, uh, lined up. Right. And I went backwards. I found a VP of sales job, but you know, you lose all the variable part of your comp. So you start backwards a little bit. But here I was, I'm like, oh, I'm a VP now. I've got, you know, more responsibility and all this kind of stuff. Did really well there. Wasn't going to get funded again. Not a good situation looking back on it in terms of like the relationship I had with my superiors and things like that. So I was so desperate to get out of there, Stephen, that I took a job that I never should have taken. I did a very, very poor job vetting the company, vetting the product, vetting the founder, vetting the fundraising situation. And I f***ed up. And it's like the blip on my resume. I was only there for 8 months. I don't even know if it was 8 months. It might have been 7, seven or 8 months. That's a huge whiff. Right? And I remember thinking, I have got to get the next one right. Or you know, I could be in trouble. Like I've, I've been ahead of sales 3 times now. But uh, you know, mediocre success kind of at best. And what I was able to do, thankfully, was... Think of all the things that I didn't know or didn't do in vetting these other opportunities. Like 
There was a bad product with not enough funding. There was a tyrannical CEO. There was a place where I wasn't going to have the opportunity to go as high as I wanted because they were all about experience and, and age and all this kind of thing. So I, I, I purposely tried to solve for those particular things. So I, I took this other VP of job and it required me to leave San Francisco and go all the way to Austin, Texas. I don't know anybody in Austin, Texas. I have no family here, right? We had a one-year-old and a three-year-old at the time. Big, huge risk. Backward step in income, but backwards with the idea that I will be able to go forward. And just always betting on myself along the way. That company was Main Street Hub. We sold Main Street Hub to GoDaddy for nine figures. I left Main Street Hub after about two and a half, three years to go do a turnaround project of this company called Outbound Engine. Everybody told me I was nuts. Everybody said that makes no sense. Why would you do that? Main Street Hub is going, doing well. right? Well, there was things there that I was tired of and I wanted a new challenge. So I leave and I go take that gig. Same deal. Backward in comp. Have to go forward through success. right? And I've shanked a few times, but I've gotten much better as I've gone on in, in evaluating opportunities. And I think the key for me has just always been, I bet on myself. I have confidence in myself to get the job done. I have confidence in myself to find the right teammates and people around me to fill the gaps in of the things that I'm terrible at. Right. And, you know, I can point back to my illness and what gives me confidence and strength to take some of these risks is what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen, I've arguably already defeated, right? What happens if I get fired? Who cares? I'll find another job. What happens if uh, I financially can't get back to the income level I was before? Who cares? I'm not in the hospital. What difference does it make? And there's a lot of freedom there for me in feeling like I got nothing to lose. Now I'm on borrowed time anyways, right? So I might as well make the most of it. That's a humbling perspective to be able to have. And you know, the fact that you can recall some of the, uh, the stories in detail and vivid detail about your first week in sales, it also shows the level of appreciation that you have for somebody who's willing to go through that. I'll tell you from the outside looking in, uh, and you probably have seen this to be true also, in today's world, there's a quick judgment that is made that there's the perception of everything needs to be figured out. There needs to be a well-oiled machine. There needs to be this perfectly charted course. And you know, if all these financial models work the way that they're supposed to from a revenue generation standpoint, then what's the problem? And that's just the opposite of reality. The reality is, is things are messy. Things are, are difficult and uh, you're going to screw up. That I mean, that was the whole premise of this podcast is what did you screw up? Where did you mess up? And, you know, what were the steps that you took in order to get you to where you needed to go? And so to be respectful of time, you know, I know we're, we're kind of coming to the tail end of this, but what I'm hearing from you, Scott, is you were willing to bet on you. My last question, and we can wrap with this, is some of the decisions that you made that didn't net what you wanted, how did you develop some of that inertia and that confidence back in your ability to make a decision when you had that misstep? I, d I just didn't let it affect me. I don't, I didn't internalize a mistake and equate that to mean I'm a loser. Like just because I lost doesn't mean I'm a loser, right? I accepted the fact that I made a mistake and thought, well, can't wait to not make that mistake again. I'm going to learn from that shit and do way better this time. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, like I'm human. Like 
I think I would kind of give myself about a 24 hour pity party time limit. Right. And then that's it. It's done. It's not doing me any good to dwell on it anymore. And being able to shake it off faster and bounce back faster is really, really, really important. But we are not our mistakes. We are not our failures. We are not our losses. We're a collection of the things that we did right and the things that we did wrong. And I just don't care so much about who you've been. I care about who you are right now and who you want to become. And if I'm going to care about those things and the people I want to spend my time and my life around, I sure better live by that principle as well. And so I try to be a guide on some level, if you if you will, for other people to think and operate in this particular way. So I don't beat myself up too much for the mistakes that I've made. Well, you've also had some experiences that you know that you've came back from, and then you've also had some experiences that not everybody's going to be able to be a part of a nine-figure acquisition. However, uh, having been through that and having come back from the depths of despair, so to speak, I mean, just a couple of times with some life-altering uh, surgeries, I'm, I'm glad to see that you're healthy, glad to see that you're good now. How can people get in touch with you? If somebody was making that transition from one career step to another, where would be the best place that you would point them to? Yeah, well... You know, I, I wrote the first book, Addicted to the Process, specifically for people who are early in their career in sales, uh, who are looking to get into it for the first time. So that's a really good place to start. You know, I'm going to talk about the mindset required and what that journey was like, you know, for me. And, you know, you say not everybody can be a part of a nine figure acquisition, but like I have no special pedigree that, you know, prepped me to be a part of something like that. And if I can sort it out, so can anybody else. And, and I think that's something that I really hope cuts through you know, the, the conversation when people listen to this. I'm very active on LinkedIn, as, as you alluded to. I respond to everybody. So you know, people should feel free to reach out to me there. I've started a couple kind of micro communities. You know, Surf and Sales is one. You know, SurfandSales.com for anybody who wants to check it out. I run the Surf and Sales podcast with my friend Richard Harris, who you know, Stephen. I run Thursday Night Sales, which is the longest running weekly sales happy hour in the world. We're on like 25 weeks in a row now, Amy Bolas and I. I also run my own Patreon community. This is something that I've only recently started. There's about 125 people in there right now, but I write a bunch of private content. I hold private training events for people in that particular community. It's a lot easier for me to communicate with people there because it's 125 people versus 55,000 on LinkedIn. So any of these ways are good ways to get a hold of me. And if, and if you're a founder or, or a head of sales who's you know struggling to figure out how to go from zero to 25 million and how to build a, a scalable, sustainable sales motion, you know I might be somebody worthwhile for you to talk to. That's what I do in my consulting business. I help companies go from zero to 25 and help you sort out the people and the and the process and the playbook, you know, necessary to, to succeed there. So any of those ways are good ways to get a hold of me, I suppose. Well, there you have it. That's a, a very quick down and dirty, honestly revealing conversation with, I like the way that you said it cuts through the conversation to know that if you can sort through a nine figure acquisition, there's no special pedigree that's involved there. And I think that that's demystifies a lot of what people see, especially when they're only interacting with that level of, 
of success from a distance or they're reading it in the headline, Scott. So you humanize that experience really very well. So I appreciate you taking some time and talking to us about the importance of what we call get some wins. And that's the recovery process of when you make a mistake, you make a hiccup. How do you recalibrate yourself and, and come away from that pain and that suffering? Anything else you want to leave these folks with? We could sit here and talk for another couple hours. So maybe I'll come back on the show some other time. We'll go round two. I love it. I love it. We'll appreciate you. For those of you who like listening to Knucklehead, new episodes coming at you every Tuesday. We thank Scott. And I challenge you, if you're listening to this, to connect with him exactly the way that he said, either on LinkedIn, his Patreon, or the Sales and Surf Summit. Check out some of his episodes. He's got some really good episodes over in the Sales and Surf podcast with him and Rich Harris. It's one of the more fun conversations, and you will learn. I challenge you to try not to learn as you listen to the show. So if you're not subscribed to a show already, do that. All right. For everybody else, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good rest of the day, guys.